Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Have you noticed your home looking a little greener these days? Perhaps you've been seduced by the indoor plant trend, welcomed into a club now lovingly referred to as the plant lady movement. Today, we're looking at the trend that has taken Aussie homes by storm to see whether it's continuing to thrive or whether the greening of our spaces is starting to die out. If you Google Mamma Mia and plants, you'll find a long list of articles we've published over the past few years about a trend that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. In 2019, we wrote that indoor plants are the number one home decor accessory. That same year, the Spill podcast co-host Laura Brodnick wrote about how she nearly called in sick when she realised her devil's ivy was unwell. So I had a woken on Monday morning to find my pride and joy, my glorious devil's ivy that drapes luxuriously from atop my highest bookcase, wilting, dry and closing in on an agonising death. I immediately started Googling emergency plant hospitals in Sydney before quickly discovering that there's no such place in existence, although there really should be. Someone please get onto that while also typing out the message that would have doubled as my resignation letter when I caught sight of myself in a mirror and realised for the first time the full extent of my crazy. There I was, sitting in my living room, a place that could easily double as the set of Little Shop of Horrors thanks to the fact that I have covered every available surface with towers of green leafy things, having a panic attack over a plant. On the Mamma Mia website, we've put together lists of the top indoor plant Instagram accounts to follow, with fiddle leaf figs, ferns and succulents artistically arranged in pots and baskets in almost too beautiful to look at bedrooms, lounge rooms and bathrooms. We've got articles on how to keep your indoor plant alive, how to repot a plant, and lists of the lowest of low-maintenance plants that even the most lacking in green thumbs cannot possibly kill. Why do we have so many stories about plants? because out there in the cities, suburbs and country towns of Australia is an army of plant ladies eagerly consuming all that information in the hopes they too can create the green oasis of living, breathing home decor that is so artistically styled on their social media feeds. Plants are huge on Instagram and TikTok. There's a thing called Plant Talk where you can see people's hacks to getting free plants, how to take care of them, what the different types are, which ones people hate, to people showing off their amazing growth, even how to make new plants out of old ones. When you buy a little plant and it's doing great, you break off a piece and you propagate, you make another plant. Ooh yeah, a baby brother plant. So is the trend still as strong as it was when we first posted all those pre-pandemic plant love stories? 
Jenna Holmes, aka The Plant Mama, is the founder and creative director of Pea Mummy Industries, which includes Plant Mama, a plant styling studio that specialises in residential and commercial plant design and installations. Jenna, are we seeing any decrease in the demand for indoor plants as an interior design aesthetic right now? I think there's definitely trends happening, but to be honest, I think now that it's been around for, you know, more six to seven years, it's not as psycho because people have jumped on that trend and there's only kind of so many plants one can own. I mean, obviously you can keep going, but I feel like there's only so many plants that people's husbands will allow them to have in the space. As far as trends go right now, is there a particular plant that is really popular? Is it in pots, how we're styling them? What's the trend at the moment with indoor plants? I think people have been testing the easier varieties in the earlier stages of owning plants that now people are getting a bit more savvy for like different and unusual plants that take a little bit more care to maintain. I think everyone kind of went through having like devil's ivy, monstera, rubber. They're all the really kind of awesome plants that are great to begin with because you can learn quite easily with them. And then I feel like though now people are getting more into like hoyas or like variegated monsteras or like different types of ripsalis or cactus and things like that. Like as I think people become more confident in their plant skills, they're more willing to like take things on that needle bit more care so I feel like everyone's starting to kind of become their own plant mama and get all of their own information enough that they don't need us as much anymore because it's also such a fun thing to learn for yourself that once you kind of learn about like how much water I give this one how much light does it need like you play with that dance and you get to know your plants it can be pretty easy thereafter to take care of them. Well, can you talk about, say, people who live in city or suburban spaces where they don't have a lot of room, maybe don't have a huge amount of light either. What are, say, your top two plants for spaces like that that might be a bit darker, that might be a bit smaller? So devil's ivy is normally pretty good because they're a predominantly a shade plant, so they can grow pretty well in darkness. Apparently, they actually sometimes grow longer tendrils when they are in the dark because they try and find the light, which is cool. And also, I feel like I've had really good luck with having mother-in-law tongue, the snake plant, in darker places as well. The Zanzibars are great as well, so they kind of can be in your medium to lower light spaces. What about people who've got tons of light and maybe a little bit more experience and who want to go a little bit crazy in their plant selection? What kind of things would you suggest for them? Indoor cacti are really fun if you are in a place that has heaps of light or like a glass ceiling. Also, indoor trees are great as well. There are a few indoor tree varieties where you can literally grow a tree inside depending on the light. So I feel like they're also really cool. If you are a certified member of the Plant Lady Club, you may have some plants that do incredibly well, while others fade away. We all have at least one that didn't make it. So what are the basic do's and don'ts of becoming a plant mum or dad, so that we keep the losses to a minimum? Millie Ross is a presenter and head of research at the ABC's Gardening Australia program. She's also a professional horticulturalist, garden designer, writer and broadcaster. Millie, can we get some first plant advice from you? Everyone says the snake plant is the best for a new plant parent. What do you think? I found them at times quite difficult to grow really, really well. And in fact, they're one of these funny plants that's a weed in some places. So in certain parts of Australia, outdoors, they'll survive, they'll thrive, they'll march across the garden. Whereas when you're bringing something into the house, 
you are actually really putting it in a very unnatural environment. And in the past, I've overwatered them. So I think sometimes when new plant growers grab a plant that needs zero water, it's a bit of a disappointing one to grow in a way because you're going to want to give it a little love, aren't you? Like That's why you're doing this, not just to make it look gorgeous, but you want to get involved and learn a little bit about plants. So yes, it is a really great plant for a well-lit space in a nice free-draining soil and it will perform really well for a lot of people. But one of the things, and it's one of the biggest traps for growing a lot of plants indoors for the first time, is that they get too wet. And once a plant gets too wet, it absolutely rots its roots off. It might even completely collapse in the case of that particular plant. So look, there's so many things to try. And I think one of the best bits of advice is to actually ask for advice. Go to a really good independent nursery and hit up the staff there. Tell them what sort of conditions you've got. Tell them what your expectations of being a gardener are. Like, do you want to fuss around and have a bit of a play and learn a little bit about the plants? Or do you just want to put them in a spot walk away and not think about them except every two months you think, oh, heck, what do I need to do to that plant? So working out a little bit about what sort of gardener you think you're going to be and how much time and energy you're going to give it can help a lot with the success of the plants you're going to grow. Well, can we touch on watering indoor plants? Because I see a lot of videos now online of some people who are well in the water from above club or the misting club, and there are others who are like, you must water your plants from below. So put it in a dish of water and let it soak it up itself. Which team are you on, water from above or water from below? I am on the team of understanding your plants. There are rules in gardening that you can apply, but ultimately, the conditions that you're growing them in, the pot that you've got them in, the soil that you've got them in, the space that you've got them in in your house, all of these things are influencing how you might approach indoor gardening with those plants. And so that will influence the water. People think watering is this really simple thing. But, you know, you'll find you walk into any nursery, it's not going to be the apprentice who's doing the watering every day. You're standing on the end of a hose watering those different plants all around a nursery, it's actually going to be the most senior staff because, you know, you learn those skills of observation, you learn what your plants need. Some plants absolutely despise being watered from above for many reasons. They don't want their foliage to be wet because you can get a fungal problem. Some of them actually grow from what's called a tuber or a corm, which is a, you know, a big sort of chunky storage organ. And if they get too wet, then they are going to rot. And that's the whole plant will just sort of rot away from the crown. So in those cases, you'd definitely be best off to water from below. Myself, with most of my indoor plants, I do water from above. But what I do is I take them out of their cover pot. So they're growing in a kind of plastic pot that I slip inside an old saucepan or a terracotta pot. I take them into the laundry. I fill them up. I absolutely soak that root ball really, really, really well. I might even water them a couple of times while they're sitting in that. I let them drain really freely. So I make sure that the water is able to leave that plastic pot before they go back into their position. And I find that that's the most effective way to water them very well, but ensure that they're not being overwatered. What about soils and pots? Is it okay just to use potting mix as it is with maybe a bit of fertiliser? And is it okay to leave it in the pot that it came in? If you're buying a good quality plant, it should come in a good quality potting mix for that plant. So for a period of time, you absolutely might be able to leave it in that pot size. And again, asking the person you're buying it off, how soon will I need to repot this might be a good question to ask because sometimes they've only just been put into that pot and you might get a year, 18 months out of it. 
But sometimes it might be absolutely popping and need to go a size up. Really good rule of thumb, no bigger than about a third of a size up to the next size pot when you do it. A lot of people will use something like perlite, which is an expanded sort of mineral. It holds a lot of moisture, but also a lot of oxygen and mixing about 20% of that into a regular potting mix with good quality nutrients in it. And they use that for a lot of indoor plants because again, that problem of them sitting in a bit of water at the bottom of the pot can be really, really problematic. And most plants that we're growing indoors are kind of unusual things. Some of them come from kind of epiphytic or lithophytic habitats. So that means growing on trees and rocks. And then we're translating that into a container. And so they are used to having a lot of oxygen around their roots. Others come from more arid parts. I mean, some people try and grow cacti and succulents indoors, have some success in a really well-lit space. But I think ultimately a lot of those species are much happier outdoors and they can become magnets for pests. So look, it depends again on what plant you're growing, but a really high quality potting mix is always, doesn't matter what you're growing indoors or out, is always advised because the cheap stuff is cheap and it will not support the growth of those plants. You've got to look for little red ticks on a bag of potting mix and that indicates that it meets Australian standards and that it has a bit of nutrients already. And then you can adjust that basic potting mix for the specific things you want to grow. You mentioned pests there. And of course, anyone who's had indoor plants more than likely has had fungus gnats. How do we stay on top of little pests like that? You need to get onto the Gardening Australia website and watch Jane Edmondson's fungus gnat acting with the animated fungus gnats. I think it was the first CGI story we'd ever had on the show. Probably the key thing, again, is that overwatering. So there's a few different steps you can take. A surface mulch of a little bit of gravel can be helpful. But the key thing is letting that soil really dry out between watering. So when you're keeping them overly moist, it seems to be the conducive conditions for them being there. So I'd suggest do a little bit of reading, let your plants sort of dry out between waterings and fingers crossed the gnats won't be buzzing around your kitchen. Now, I know we do need to be mindful of pets and plants, right? Are there some plants that are toxic to, say, dogs and cats? Yeah, certainly there are. And there's great information available about that now. And it's funny, you know, a couple of years ago, I did a little question on the program about a particular indoor plant. And my dog is always in the garden with me on the program. And we got a lot of emails of people just absolutely freaking out that I had a peace lily in the background and that I had animals. And, you know, it's known to be a plant that can be toxic to dogs and cats if they chew it. And the response I have is that my cat and my dog are not at all interested in chewing indoor plants. You know, I really know them, I know their behaviour. But it is a really important thing to consider if your animals are likely to chew your plants. So there's really fantastic resources online. A lot of the emergency veterinary clinics have really thorough lists now of different plants that can be problematic. But it is a lot about understanding your animals as well as understanding what plants you can have in the house. I confidently have some plants that if squiddy chewed to pieces and ingested could be problematic. But I know, you know, after many years together, that's just not at all on her agenda. And so I can confidently have those plants. But yeah, get to know what you're bringing into the house based on the animals that you have there. So the indoor plant trend is certainly not new and it's certainly not going away anytime soon. But what do plant ladies who've been at it for a long time feel about all us newbies invading their green space? 
I laugh sometimes when people tell me that gardening is cool now because they're doing it. And I think, oh, come on, you know, it's been turning the world basically, feeding us, clothing us forever. So it's always been a cool thing to do. But look, I'm excited. And as someone who's not only been a gardener, but also worked in gardening media for nearly 20 years and watched people's interest and watched what other gardeners are doing, I just think it's exciting that so many people are coming to it without any rules you know they're doing what they want to do they're following their passions and interests and to me that means that we're all trying lots of new things and we're seeing new people do things that we never thought of before so I love that people love plants I mean I think people might get into them because they look good in their apartment or as a gift someone gives you a plant but I think that those people who really go down that rabbit hole and become what essentially is a gardener. It's kind of catch-all phrase for people who love plants. I think those benefits, indoors or out, are just so big. Your mental health, your creative interest, you know, it's this fantastic place where you can have some fun and be really, really creative. And I think once you start, there's just really no end to the benefit of growing a bit of stuff in your house or outside. This episode of The Quickie was produced by this proud plant lady, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And if you're looking for something new for your ears, the latest episode of Extraordinary Stories about notorious con woman Belle Gibson is out now. This time, Emma Gillespie unpacks the email tip-off to reporters which revealed the self-proclaimed wellness warrior's story of a cancer diagnosis and recovery was a complete lie. At first, reporters were interested in clearing Belle's name, not destroying it. Because she seemed to be the pin-up girl for people who are desperately unwell and who desperately want to be well, and a very sympathetic one, somebody who'd been so terribly sick and who had garnered the support of so many people to then have these doubts raised... I think the suspicion was probably against the allegations or those making the allegations more than her to begin with. Listen to episode two of Belle Gibson wherever you get your podcasts. And to get early access to the latest seasons of Extraordinary Stories, become an M Plus subscriber. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.